Hi, welcome to Bookie, which unlock big ideas from world's bestsellers in audio, text, and mind map. Please download Bookie at Apple Store or Google Play with more features, get your free mind snack now. Today we'll unlock the book What Are You Looking At? 150 Years of Modern Art in the Blink of an Eye. This book aims to answer some common confusions about modern art. Why is modern art so hard to understand? Why is painting no longer the main form of art? What is the relationship between modern art and ordinary people like us? This is the history of a modern art revolution involving artists' rebellions and innovations. The book tells the story of how artists liberated art from the tradition and control of the academy, how artists reinvented art education, developing new art schools based on the insights of Impressionism and Cubism. Finally, it explains why art has become something that ordinary people can't always understand at first glance. The book reviews the history of art's development from the 1860s to the present day, explaining the ins and outs of more than 30 modern art movements with representative works from nearly a hundred artists. The book is a big project. To accomplish it, the author needed to be a connoisseur of modern art, with not only the eyes to appreciate art but also access to specific galleries and works and the opportunity to communicate directly with living artists. In addition, the author had to have superb writing skills and the ability to tell a great story. Fortunately, the author of this book Will Gompertz is just such a person. Gompertz's had access to a wide range of exhibits and artists through his previous jobs as director of media at Tate Britain and as the first editor-in-chief of the BBC's Art Channel. For more than 20 years as a critic, Gompertz wrote widely, providing art reviews for both The Times and The Guardian. His professional consultancy work has supported many leading art institutions in the UK. To learn about the main content of the book, we will hear about it in the following three sections. Part 1 Impressionism, one part conservative, one part revolutionary. Part 2 Modern art, a radical revolution. Part 3 Understanding modern art. Let's hear how the book begins with Impressionism, one part conservative one part revolutionary. One part conservative one part revolutionary is actually Gompertz's comment on Paul Cézanne. Unlike other post-impressionist artists such as Vincent van Gogh or Paul Gauguin who had relatively progressive styles and turned away from traditional painting techniques when creating their works, Cézanne was different. He still respected the methods of the old masters. Based on their approaches, Cézanne incorporated his own innovations. That's why Gompertz says he was one part conservative and one part revolutionary. Gompertz's remarks are made in the context of the times in which Cézanne lived. However, looking back today, we'll find that the Impressionists, the rebels of their era, were actually quite conservative and moderate. The entire Impressionist movement can thus be reasonably considered one part revolutionary, one part conservative. We claim Impressionism is partly conservative, because most Impressionist works regardless of how extreme their style can still be enjoyed by ordinary people. Whether it's Claude Monet's Impression Sunrise, Van Gogh's The Starry Night, or Cézanne's Mont Saint-Victoire, despite their groundbreaking styles, they are all representations we can recognize and understand. However, we also suggest Impressionism is one part revolutionary, 
because the artists challenged the oppressive art authorities of their day represented by the Academy. Over the following decades, the Impressionists' break from the Academy set the stepping stones for many modern art movements, some were very much more revolutionary. At the time of the Impressionists, the bureaucratic Académie des Beaux-Arts was supremely powerful. The Academy only recognized the so-called grand manner painting style based on the type of painting done by the masters of the Renaissance era, such as Leonardo da Vinci, Michelangelo, and Raphael. This style of paintings was usually centered around themes from mythology, religion, history, or the affairs of the classical world. The artworks were conceived in a grandiose style and with a smooth surface of precise brush strokes. The artists only painted in their studios, sometimes spending weeks, months, or even years on a single work. The artistic pursuit of the Impressionists was absolutely the opposite. They advocated getting out of the studio, immersing themselves in nature and focusing on ordinary people's affairs and modern life. As a result, the Impressionists and the Academy were completely incompatible. For example, Edouard Manet often known as the father of Impressionism depicted everyday life, rich and poor. In The Absinthe Drinker, he presents the life of an impoverished Parisian. Another work The Luncheon on the Grass shows a naked woman and two well-dressed men. This is probably the first time in the entire history of art that a painting showed the naked body of an ordinary woman. Previously, female nudity was idealized, the preserve of Venus and other goddesses. Not surprisingly, when Manet sent these two works to the art salon dominated by the Academy, they were instantly rejected. The Academy judged that Manet's motifs were ugly, his painting not refined, and his technique clumsy. In that year, 1863, along with Manet's paintings, the Salon rejected more than 3,000 artworks, including paintings by Paul Cézanne, James Abbott McNeil Whistler, Camille Pissarro, and other rising stars of Impressionism. Fortunately, the situation came to the attention of the Emperor Napoleon III. Perhaps fearing a clash between the Academy and the Impressionists and the potential rebellion it might cause, Napoleon inaugurated a second gallery directly opposite the Salon of the Academy. Here, all the works the Salon had rejected were displayed. This was the famous Salon of the Rejected. In the new gallery, the public were the judges of an artwork's quality and value. The Salon of the Rejected was just a stopgap measure, not to mention that its name left something to be desired. On April 15, 1874, a group of young Impressionists formed an independent organization called the Anonymous Society of Painters, Sculptors, Printmakers, etc. Together the artists agreed on some ground rules. There were to be no judges. Anyone could join the association as long as they paid their dues, and all members of the society would be treated equally. The original members of the society were Pierre-Auguste Renoir, Camille Pissarro, Manet, Monet, Edgar Degas, and Cézanne. With the founding of this association, Impressionism claimed its autonomy and expressive style. The group of young artists finally split from the Academy. When we look at modern art produced today, we often think is this really art? This inquiry is not something new to our age. Since the birth of Impressionism, this type of question reverberates through modern art's 150 years history. Collectively known as the Post-Impressionists, Several painters including Van Gogh, Gauguin, George Seurat, 
and Cezanne faced similar confusion when the public saw their works for the first time. Among this group of artists and their works, the majority of us will probably be most familiar with Van Gogh and his painting The Starry Night. Van Gogh inspired one of the most significant and enduring art movements of the 20th century. This movement is Expressionism. As the name suggests, Van Gogh hoped to express feelings in his paintings as well as to show his understanding of how the world looked. If things are painted exactly like how they appear, they are too mundane to express emotions. That's why Van Gogh exaggerated some elements in his paintings, used distortion, and simplified through abstraction until the changed elements could convey what he had in his mind. For example, in The Starry Night, the stars and moon in the upper half of the canvas are painted as vortexes seething with energy. In this image, the night sky appears like a dynamic rotating animation. Van Gogh attempts to draw the audience into the depths of the universe. In contrast to the lively background of the starry sky, the village in the lower half of the painting conveys a sense of great tranquility. Many people believe that the starry night was on the one hand a reflection of Van Gogh's mental torment and delusion in this period of his life. On the other, people think the work conveyed his attitude, searching for hope and tranquility during a time of his severe mental breakdown. Either way, the picture communicates the power of expressionism. Gauguin was a different sort of artist, an advocate of symbolism. Gauguin argued that Impressionist painters focused too much on the everyday. As a result, they forfeited the essential quality of an artist, imagination. Gauguin despised the materialism of modern life. So, he escaped Paris to stay on the remote island of Tahiti where he lived with the local indigenous people, hoping to return to an original primeval state and draw on primitive forces. Through this experience, Gauguin also became a noted representative of the so-called primitivist tendency. His important symbolist compositions such as the vision after the sermon influenced subsequent movements like surrealism and later abstract expressionism. Another artist we should not overlook is George Seurat. Seurat is the leading figure of pointillism, a style comprised of tiny dots of pure color. Seurat developed the technique using points of contrasting colors on a bright white canvas. Putting multiple dots of different colors close together, one color intensifies another, and the interrelation produces a luminous sparkling effect. Seurat's paintings are full of energy, just like a glass of champagne fizzing in front of your eyes. That's why pointillism is a unique form of artistic expression with an easily recognizable appearance. Van Gogh, Gauguin, and Seurat are all masters of post-impressionism. But if you must find a leader among the masters, who would it be? Pablo Picasso provided his own answer, Paul Cézanne. Why Cézanne? Cézanne insisted that impressionists were correct to paint their subjects directly outdoors, but they should at the same time learn from the previous generation of masters and pay attention to the compositional structure of the painting. Some artists worked methodically in the studio, overly focusing on methods. Others painted rapidly outdoors, looking at real objects under changing sunlight, not too worried about pictorial structure or technique. Cézanne felt both approaches had strengths and weaknesses and needed to be unified. He thought that the task of an artist was to express their sensibility as logically as possible, understanding the things in front of them. This approach required the use of multiple viewpoints. 
Cezanne chose which aspects of the motif he wanted to highlight, allowing him to tweak the composition into an arrangement of greater harmony. In addition to these insights, Cezanne also conceived the influential idea that a painting of any subject was essentially an arrangement of simple geometric shapes on a flat canvas. Let's first look at what it means to use multiple viewpoints. Cezanne noticed that people don't look at nature through one eye like a camera's single lens and fixed position. People have two eyes and therefore see two perspectives. When we look at things, we might also move slightly, lean forward, or stand up. All these will change our perspective and make us see the scene in front of us slightly differently. Therefore, there will always be a difference between what the eyes see and what a painting could portray if it had a single perspective. In addition to seeing with multiple viewpoints, people respond to the world not only with their eyes but also through an emotional experience. What does that mean? Imagine 100 painters standing at the exact same spot, using the same perspective to paint. These artists will produce 100 very different works of art. Cezanne intended that by using different perspectives in his paintings, the final work would be more expressive than anything that a camera limited to a single viewpoint could produce. This innovation inspired Picasso and became the most important theoretical foundation of Cubism. We will talk about this in detail later. Another of Cezanne's influential innovations was to reduce the concrete objects in a picture into simple flat geometric shapes. Cezanne believed that the soul of a painting comes from its composition instead of its details and technique. A painting should be intrinsically abstract. To achieve this, the artist should edit what they see, sacrificing unnecessary aspects of the motif. In his most famous work Mont-Saint-Victoire, the wheat fields in the foreground are painted as simple rectangles. Buildings are represented as blocks of color. This technique reducing all parts of the landscape simply to shapes profoundly influenced many later movements, especially cubism and abstraction. Simplicity and using grid-like structures were concepts that proved inspirational for many progressive tendencies, such as Bauhaus design and minimalism. That concludes part one concerning Impressionism, one part conservative, one part revolutionary. Compared with the long artistic traditions represented by the Academy in France, Impressionism was revolutionary in every sense. But compared with the dozens of modern art movements of later generations, the Impressionists were very tied to the past since they still respected the inheritance of the techniques of the old masters. Today we are just sharing limited content. To unlock more key insights of world-class bestseller please download our app. Just search for B-O-O-K-E-Y at Apple Store or Google Play, get your free mind snack now.